Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. It's a podcast where I interview people who on the surface may appear to be totally ordinary, but underneath the surface, they have amazing things going on. Mary Harpole teaches theology at St. James Academy, and she has a very good witness talk to give. And after we hear that, we'll have a splendid conversation about what it means to be a 17 to 22-year-old woman who is going to be making hard decisions about what type of an adult she wants to be. Mm -hmm. Hi, Mary. Hi, Tim. (laughs) Well, tell me a little bit about yourself, and then we're going to go into greater detail later. Okay, awesome. Yes, so my name is Mary Harpel. Um, I'm 22 years old. Um, I work here at St. James Academy, and I'm a a theology teacher um, here for freshmen and sophomores. And I'm originally from Littleton, Colorado, which is a suburb of Denver. I was born and raised there. Both my parents are from Colorado. Um, my two parents are awesome, John and Lisa Harpool. Um, they're, they're awesome, big support system in my life. And then I have two siblings, an older sibling, Emily, who is about 25 now. Um, she's getting married in March, which we're really excited for. Wow. Yeah. And then, do, you, do you like the guy? Yes, I do. He's awesome. He is He is awesome. We yeah. had to edit out the part where she said, no, she doesn't <laughs> like the guy. I'm, no, just, I'm just kidding. I promise I like him. Yes, he's, he's awesome. He's going to be a great addition to the siblings. Um, and then I have a younger brother who is a sophomore at Benedictine College right now. Um, so I'm right in the middle. And loving it. I'm a middle child too. Really? Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to talk about this. Uh, I I just feel like middle children, our aim in life is to see if we can get along with everybody. Oh, absolutely. I love being the middle child. Yeah, we love everybody. Everybody's good. (laughs) You know? Yeah, we get to see the older one crash and burn. And uh, then we're like, hmm, I guess fire's hot. You know, maybe (laughs) I won't go into that. Then we look at the baby, and then the baby is having like all this fun, and we're like, "Oh, I want to have fun too." It's the best of both worlds. So then we just jump right in. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's just it's it's great. It's mm-hmm. absolutely great. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you have this absolutely awesome witness talk, and I was kind of hoping that you could give it. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's been such a gift to know to know Tim, especially in the past couple of weeks. We just went on a retreat with some of the seniors at St. James. Um, and I was able to give a witness talk about my life. And um, witness is really just a way of telling a story in order to relay a theological truth or something about the church. Um, and it's really helpful just to be able to share this within a personal story so people can see how it's connected to real life and not just like this, this topic that's out um, in the abstract and not able to be right it's 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 a real story it's got flesh and bones yeah. it's got muscle and sinew it's 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 real yeah it's not just an abstract idea for sure and it was really beautiful to be able to share just a little bit of witness about my own life especially in high school um, because I've definitely not always been um, like theology teacher material if that makes sense and I went through a lot of stages in my life that led me to um, here in this job and this lifestyle too. So I would love to share a witness. Um, Yeah, it really just started for me um, in high school. I was born and raised Catholic. Um, Both of my parents were very faithful and going to mass on Sundays was never an option for us, which I look back on and I'm so thankful for that foundation um, that even if we were struggling in our faith, we always went to mass together as a family on Sundays. Um, And that was really beautiful, but I don't think I really um, took the faith as a personal um, 
yeah, just like a personal part of my own life um, until about college. Because in high school, I went into high school really excited to make a lot of friends, um, really excited to start a new chapter in my life. But like I said, I hadn't really made the faith my own yet. Um, so it was pretty tough to enter into high school. And I started, um, I guess I'll preface, my high school is in Aurora, Colorado. Um, and it was an interesting school. It was a Jesuit school. Um, and it was two school buildings on one campus. So we had a girls division and a boys division. Um, and in total, there's about 1,600 students, um, but it was split between the two, the two buildings. Um, did, did you have classes in common, or did you just wave to the boys from across much, the lawn? Pretty much, yeah. There was a big lawn that separated the buildings, and we didn't have any like normal classes in common. If you were in an upper-level class, um, for like math or science, which I was never in, mm. um, we you would have class with the boys, and sometimes you would have classes in the boys division, but they were all girls classes. Um, so yeah, it was a very interesting dynamic of high school for sure. Yeah, it's so interesting because it's kind of like they're on the other side of the glass yeah, shield or something for sure. And you know, they tried to kind of proctor like interactions, so we had. Um, co-mingling time is what was it was, it was called, called co-mingling yes, time and everyone made fun of that name so much but <laughs> it was really a time for us to just like hang out outside with them and in like the commons area too um, and so yeah it was really interesting developing relationships in high school because there was just like this pressure to um, be cool and have fun with your friends um, and I fell into just kind of a cycle of Friendships that weren't necessarily based on mutual wanting the good of the other, um, if that makes sense. So it was a lot of friendships just based on fun um, early on in high school. And then that kind of ended up with just some hard times junior and senior year. Because um, I didn't feel like I really had a lot of friends that I could trust. And the friends that I did have, um, and I'll put friends kind of in quotes, um, I did have like a couple of solid friends. But for the most part, the people that I were hanging out with, that I was hanging out with, um, weren't really doing like great virtuous things and then I definitely was like feeding into that too um, so I got to the point in high school where I didn't really have a prayer life like if I prayed a Hail Mary before bed that was a good day it was prayer. a miracle yeah it really was and I look back on that time in my life and I think it's beautiful because the Blessed Mother she was like my one prayer even though it was so small I really attribute me holding on because of, mm. yeah, just saying like a couple Hail Marys. Okay. Which is really cool. So looking back, yeah, it was just a really hard time for friendships. Um, and then I started my first relationship um, my junior year of high school. Romantic relationship. Yes, my, yes not Got my it. friendship. Yeah, romantic relationship. I had my first boyfriend my junior year of high school. Um, and it was one of those relationships like he was a super cool guy in the boys division um, he checked off all the boxes of like a cool high school boyfriend and he had a Mustang. He would drive it around. It was like a 1969, really fancy. Oh my gosh. So it's not <laughs> even, it's a classic Mustang. Yeah. It wasn't a normal Mustang. It was like a classic Mustang. Um, okay. And, yeah. Tell us a little bit more about this guy. Yeah. So he was, I mean, he was just kind of a typical high school boy. Um, definitely needed to mature in some ways, which I myself needed to mature as well. Um, but it was one of those things where it was like, wow, I've never had a boyfriend before. He checked off all the boxes. Um, like he's sporty? Yeah, he played sports. He was super popular. He was really involved. Um, Grades are good, but not too good. Yeah, Like he's much. not making like a, I don't know, a 5.0 on a 4.0 right. scale because he did all of his homework on Saturday night. Right. 
Yeah, and he, yeah, he also was pretty cool too. Like he, he's um, funny. He was funny. Uh, whenever there were like parties my senior year, they would usually be at his house. Um, okay, he's party central. Yes, and that started to be kind of an issue for me because I didn't really have a lot of like values that I was sticking to. Um, so my life just kind of took a turn into, um, yeah, just not really engaging in virtuous things and not going deeper into conversations. A lot of it, if I were to describe this point in my life, it would be just kind of surface level. Okay. Um, to the point of like feeling very, very restless because I've always desired, like when I was, when I was little, I loved our faith so much and I would pray, um, and I would kind of keep with that. And then in high school, when that kind of stopped, um, just kind of this deep seated, restlessness um, took place in my heart and it was hard because I didn't really realize why and it took time for me to really come to terms with why that was happening and it was just because I wasn't having good solid relationships okay because uh, here's kind of what I'm getting so far tell me if this is correct so I mean when it comes to the fun and the party and and laughter then okay this guy is great and your friend group is great but if somebody's got an actual human problem like oh hey i'm not getting along with my parents or i'm having some trouble with some of my other friends or gosh even i'm I'm making a d in chemistry and i don't know what to do uh then that just makes everybody flee and go in the opposite direction because we're here for the good times we're not here for the bad times was reading a novel one time and this guy was talking about his third wife and he was like filthy rich and she was 30 years younger and he said women in that situation are here for better and not for worse and it kind of sounds like maybe that's what your friend group was that you know they're here for better but not for worse for sure yeah and I think it was hard because I felt like I didn't have really any friends that I could trust with like deep issues but in the same way I also was not a person that could be approached yeah, with deep issues. deep issues either so it was like there wasn't I wasn't giving and I also wasn't receiving mm. in the way that I was that was meant for okay um, yeah so I think that's kind of where the restlessness came from um, and also just a lot of wounds from this point in my life um, emotional yeah even like physical wounds in different ways um, spiritual wounds for sure for not praying and being in relationships that were not good for me or for the other person too um, so yeah, it, it brought me to a point of about to leave for college and I always had, um, this idea. I knew I was going to Benedictine college, which is an amazing school. My sister had gone there. Um, she was still going to be there when I was a freshman and I knew that this place was very holy and that there were really good people there. So I, I almost convinced myself my senior year, like, all right, I will get back on track when I go to Benedictine. And I know, yeah, I'll just plan to be holy. My diet, the diet starts tomorrow. Pretty much, yeah, that's what it was. Or better yet, the diet starts three months from now. Yeah, exactly. And I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, there was so much that I could have been doing better for myself and for the people around me at this point that I just didn't lean into because I thought holiness will come when I get to Benedictine. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... Like when you go to Benedictine, there's not going to be anybody who's fun or interesting. <laughs> so that'll be off the table. Yeah, so so we can just, just hang out with the God Squad. Yep, just can pray. And that's really what I thought. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. If I really lived into my faith, it would not be fun. I would not have a good time. Which I can say now, looking back, is so I, it's such a misconception of what the faith is. Because it is this, this adventure that the Lord takes you on. And there's so many surprises, so many twists and turns that are better than 
going to a party and feeling like, you know, isolated, like, uh, Hey, I've got these deep emotions, these deep feelings or, or just, you know, I I'm human. I'm not just shallow. I'm not just here for, I don't know, the, the unicorns and the pizza. Um, you know, I, I have real emotion and, and you just want to be able to express that. Yeah. Yeah. So I got, and that was really what started happening when I got to Benedictine. Um, because I had this idea of what it would be like, and then I actually started meeting the people who I am like still friends with today. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. people I know. Now, I mean, I realize you're young, but on the other hand, you're out of college, For and sure. and people scatter to the four winds. And so, if you're still friends yeah. with a bunch of these people, that's just awesome. It's yeah, it's such a gift because I realized when I got there, I started making these friendships, and we started talking about things that mattered, and there was a stirring in my heart of like, wow, this is what true relationship looks like and through that through like the gradual um taking things out of my heart that were not meant to be there um making room for the lord to work and fill it just so many moments of healing so many new friendships that i finally felt comfortable talking about like the um meaningful things in life mm-hmm. and then i started to learn how to receive people when they were talking about the meaningful things okay in instead of fleeing from them for sure okay. yeah so just really diving deep into reality, I would say, is that point of freshman year. Um, and you, you got real. Yeah, things got real. <laughs> and it was so much better than living on this like surface level, fun, Instagrammable life, if that makes sense. Because that was really what my, my goals were in high school. So I was able to kind of refocus. And it was through being surrounded by people who were actually living also in reality at Benedictine. And I came into college still dating um the same guy still dating the same guy okay um which was tough because I, I mean he wasn't he wasn't a bad guy he was uh-huh. a great he was a uh-huh. good high school boy uh-huh. but um it came to the point i think it was november of my freshman year where i just knew he went to school in california um and so we were trying to do long distance and i just knew that it wasn't really where the lord was calling at that point um and so broke that off um probably november of my freshman year and then, yeah, just after that, really entered into friendship with people I've been Okay, in. okay. Yeah, because I was going to ask what, what caused the relationship to fracture. But mm-hmm. if you're, I don't know, roughly 2,000 miles apart and trying to do distance, For I think sure. there's just only so much you can do with FaceTime and yeah. text message and yes. that kind of thing. Yes, and I really, I struggle with FaceTime, even with people that I really love because I, I just desire to be in like the physical presence of someone. And so it was getting really tough to try to balance being at Benedictine, still pouring into a relationship that really um, was kind of at a dead end at that point. Yeah, yeah. And and, uh, was it also at a dead end because you just didn't have things in common? Yes, for sure. I mean, you're going deeper maybe. And I don't know, if his his house was originally party central, then maybe college was also hey where's the party for him i mean it is for a lot of people for sure so so i don't know maybe he was just recreating the party at in california yeah yeah and i think and i i would be lying if i said that it wasn't a gradual process for me of like a change in the sense of like freshman year i still definitely was like just juggling what kind of life i wanted to Uh be living Uh and it was a lot of freedom all at once but within that freedom um, I was able to really just start developing a more consistent spiritual life. Mm. And that became such a huge part of my life that not being able to share that mutually with him, um, it just, yeah, it was creating a, a 
break in, a, in the bond that I okay. recognize. Could, so. could you say just a little bit more about, let's just call it your slow dawning awakening? For because sure. because usually when people have a big transformation in life, my understanding is, is that uh, it either hits you like a freight train, yeah, you know, funny. like I guess uh, Saul getting knocked off of his horse and then 30 seconds later he's Paul. I mean, yeah. he's a brand new person. You know, or I don't know, in more modern terms, like Peter Parker gets bit by the radioactive right? spider and now he's not just Peter Parker, he's yeah. Spider-Man. Yeah. You know, so it's either like a gigantic jolt, like a bolt of lightning, or it's kind of like a slow dawning realization yeah. that, oh, wait a minute, I have been growing and changing. I guess I'm a different person now. Sure. Can you say just a little bit more about your, your slow dawning yeah. realization? Absolutely. Yeah, and I said in my witness on the retreat, like, I wish I could give you a moment where things really changed. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was this gradual process. And I've, I've been sitting with this image of, um, we are clay in the potter's hands. Okay. And every, every move that the Lord is making is just him slowly forming our clay. Mm. Um, and like moving one thing, changing one thing and just this gradual process until all of a sudden you're like this new creation. And I think that's, in a lot of ways, what that transformation was like for me in college. Um, and it really came through just developing slowly relationships and getting to know people that I knew there was something within them that I desired. Okay. And then just slowly taking steps of trying to pray every day, um, starting to pray the rosary, getting to know Our Lady, going to daily Mass, um, just receiving the sacraments more and more. Now, no, no, what, okay, I mean, let's, let's get concrete about one or two of those. Yeah. Uh, what made you, for example, decide to start going to daily mass? Because that's, you know, for, for people who like it, that's great. Sure. And, and otherwise it's a, you know, people, I think, perceive it as an inconvenience. Yeah. Um, I, I like it, but, yeah. I, but I think like the hurdle some people have is they think, I don't have time or I can't get up that early or I have to walk across campus and yeah. it's snowing, sure. et cetera. So, so I'm just kind of wondering what, what made you switch over from, okay, I don't do this to all of a sudden you're doing this. Yeah. I think honestly, I would attribute it first to just the fact that there are so many masses at Benedictine. Okay. Yeah. And so it was, there was an 8.15 option, there was a noon option, and there was a 5.30 option every single day. So it's super convenient. Very accessible, okay. yes. And then the other thing was like the people that I started hanging out with, that was something that they just did. Okay. And so then it became something that I also did. And okay. It was like a positive peer pressure. In that yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, they, they always say we are the average of the five people yeah. we hang around with the most. Absolutely. And that changed my life, like being around... Um, positive, yeah. cheerful, optimistic, can-do people. Mm -hmm. And I think, but it, along with those two things, once I started going as yeah. like kind of just a normal thing with friends, uh -huh. um, I realized the depth of just the thirst that I had mm. for the past like four years. And it became one of those things where it was like, wow, if I don't receive the Eucharist today, like my day will be... Not as good. Yeah, noticeably. Worse. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And um, just the, the reality of like, I can receive the Eucharist every single day. And this is the, the food that I need. Like, this is the food of eternal life. And that's what I'm made for. I can be, I can have the Eucharist in me more than I do not have the Eucharist in me. And um, yeah, just coming to the slow realization of like, this is all I need is the Eucharist. And I have such access to it. And 
to him and yeah. So. For, for people who aren't Catholic and maybe are not as familiar, could yeah. you just briefly explain the Eucharist to people? Absolutely. Um, so the Eucharist um, is one of our, our seven sacraments of the Catholic Church. And if you're familiar with the Catholic Mass, our liturgy that we pray, um, within the Mass, the priest in persona Christi, which is within the person of Christ, um, takes normal bread um, and prays through it and with it. And the bread becomes the actual body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Right. Um, not just a symbol of him, but... But the actual, the actual literal. Body. Yeah. Yeah. And there's lots of... Um, so it's considered, it's a miracle. I yeah, mean, it's oh, considered yeah. to be a miracle Absolutely. in the Catholic faith. Yeah. You know, just like, I, I guess, every religion, I suppose, has miracles. For sure. So we have one every single day. Yeah, I know. And it's like, wow, when you realize that, how could you not go every single day as much as you can receive him? Um, and there's lots of scripture passages, John 6, where Christ really explicitly says, this, this is my body, and he gives it to the church to be, yeah, the source and summit in the life of the church. Um, and so being able to actually consume Christ um, and be involved into that sacrifice of his sacrifice on the cross is all wrapped up into the Eucharist. And it really is like the, the source and summit of everything that we're doing in the Catholic faith. So, That's so beautifully said. Thank you. That's just really, really beautifully thank said. You. Well, and, and I just want to mention to, uh, I, I taught at UMKC and you meet people of all different religions. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like people of different religions, whether they're Muslim or Hindu or Jewish or whatever the case may be, they understand the need for the sacred for sure. in life. They absolutely understand the need for the sacred. And, and I feel like the average person who's kind of sort of thinking about religion a little, but maybe not a lot, yeah. they also understand the need for the sacred on some level because mm -hmm. otherwise you just look at life and you say, is this all there is? I'm just going to get older. My body's going to decline. And, oh, wait a minute. I'm stuck in traffic. My, light is, my life is bleeding out by this stupid right. red light. Right. I have to sit here and waste time. And, and time is precious. It's more important than anything. And my time is running out. I mean, how depressing. Oh, You know, sure. like if you, if you don't have a sense of the sacred in life, then uh, I, I think we all know that that the world is just inexplicably beautiful and it's indescribable and it's mysterious. Yeah. You know, I just I just think about how short life is, even if you live to be a hundred, and just how little we know. Because okay, how many languages do I speak? Yeah. Not very many. Uh, how many books have I read? Nowhere near enough. Right. Uh, people are wonderful, and, and I've probably only met a few thousand yeah. in my life. You know, so I mean, life is short, and uh, it's um, through a tiny little lens, and uh, we all know it's much bigger than that. For sure. And so I, I just, I feel like everybody understands that and knows yeah. that. I think that's so true, and I think love, living a life of love, um, you see meaning in everything around you. And I think that's the beautiful reality that the Eucharist shows us is the fact that Christ took something as low as bread and wine. Yeah. Just like material food. Uh -huh. And he creates this miracle where it turns into himself, like the divine, the one that created us, the creator. And then he not only comes down in that humble way, but he lets the created consume him. And so it's just this... It's insane when you're describing it because it's like, yeah, this doesn't make any logical sense that you would do this. Right. Yet. This is the the love of the of the Lord and the Father, um, and if He can create 
if he can make bread into himself, lowly bread, what can he make me? You know? Mm. And it's like this, he's taking material, he's making it divine. He's taking us, he desires to do the same. This transformation. Yeah. What could he, what could he make Mary into? (laughs) What could he make anybody, another person into? I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, that every person is not repeated. Yeah. And that, uh, I don't know, sometimes I used to wonder, hey, if, if we could go back to the year 1500, would there be somebody who was just a clone of me? Yeah. And, and God would be like, well, nobody would ever know. We'll just like <laughs> reuse this one, you know? Right. Yeah, well, just like a can of Coke. Like, hey, they're everywhere. Yeah. You know, just duplicate. But But the fact is, I mean, we're all unique and we're all not replaceable and we're all precious and and uh we're supposed to do something wonderful absolutely do something beautiful for god yeah so yes just kind of my thought i love it well okay um is there more on the witness talk or or should we go back to high school for a little bit what do you want to do um i would just say kind of wrapping up well i guess the way that i ended my my witness talk was just yeah in college I had to undergo a lot of purification of like the wounds that I experienced and the wounds that I um, inflicted on others too. Mm. So both like uh, receiving forgiveness and forgiving myself, but also just receiving healing from different things, which I think everyone needs in their life. Like there's there's always a pain or a wound that happens, no matter if you realize it or not, or if people realize that they inflicted it upon you or not. Um, So it was just, yeah, this really beautiful process of gradual prayer um, the Lord just gently nudging in certain directions um, and then coming to this point of like, wow, I am so wounded still, but the Lord has been so merciful in like showing me, um, yeah, what's coming next and asking me to step out of my comfort zone and become a theology teacher and share this good news, even though I am like so poor in what I have to offer, but he like works through that. So I would just say, yeah, not everything is perfect still, but um, the Lord has been very merciful in showing me uh, just what needs to happen going forward. So That's beautiful. Yeah. That's a beautiful summary. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's wind back to high school for just a little bit. Okay. Um, just a, a few quick questions. How big did you say your high school was? So it was about 1,600 um, students in total. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to guess that there's like every type of social group available yeah. to people. Um, but see, I'm, I'm older, so I don't know if the social groups are the same or different sure. from when I was a teenager. <laughs> I guess I'm thinking of the movie, The Breakfast Club, yeah. which is about 1983. And I think they had one of everybody. I think they had a jock, a nerd, a quirky artist, a delinquent, and then like the average kid who is just average. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. If you were to think about your own high school, what type of groups were available? For sure. Yeah, it was interesting with the boys and girls split because I think within the own buildings, there were kind of groups that emerged. Um, but yeah, there was definitely like your classic cool group of people, uh-huh. um, which I was not in necessarily. Well, you kind of were. Right. And that's why. Because yeah. you were dating the guy with the exactly. Corvette whose house was party central. Yes, exactly. And so that was, yeah, that was really big. I don't know. I was excited about that prospect because it was never something that I was like involved in at all. Um, and so that was a, an interesting transition because I was never part of that group in middle school or high school. If you had to be a spy to save the life of a child, if you were hired by the FBI or something to be a spy, yeah. could you infiltrate the cool party scene and just blend right in? I don't know 
I mean, I think I tried. Okay. But I still was just not. Because it worked at the time. You got in at the time. Yes. You think you could get back in. I don't think I would want to. Okay. Well, okay. Not I, even well, to save the life of a child. Okay. Well, maybe to save the life. Well, definitely to save the life of a child. <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to anymore. I'm honestly not cool. Okay. Really, in that sense. Okay. And I don't think I ever was, but okay. I, I definitely tried to make it seem like that. Now you're making me wonder if any of those people are really cool. I mean, yeah. Or if everyone's just faking it. Right. It's like, no, I think that's really what it is. Like, everyone was very insecure mm. about... It seemed like everyone was very insecure about this group of people that were cool. Like, so we either like, belong or, wait a minute, oops, it seems like I'm getting, like, shoved to the edge of the sure. group. Am I still in the group? And yeah. now I'm nerve-wracked and I have insecurity because maybe I'm getting shoved to the edge of the group. Yeah. Also, too, if people can't get their real emotional concerns addressed, like things about the relationships or, you know, their success in school or, or sports... That would drive up your insecurity, too. For sure. So, okay. So, you're saying they're all, like, very, very polished and cool on the outside, but maybe insecure underneath. Yeah. Okay. And I think maybe even the biggest factor was just that, God bless my parents, they expected a lot of me, mm. and they they expected me to be responsible, and I had a curfew, and I think a lot of, like, the cool kids did not have the same expectations, or at least, like, their parents gave them a lot more freedom to just do things and okay. make mistakes. Did, did you feel like you were living, I don't know, a double life of some kind? Yeah. Like on one level, hey, I'm this A student mm-hmm. and I'm going to the library and I'm, I'm doing all the, the A student things. Sure. Uh, but I'm also hanging out at Party Central yeah. and, and sometimes these things don't overlap very well. Yeah. I mean, did you feel like, okay, I've got a split personality going mm-hmm. on or something? Yeah, and I think it really depended on the environment that I was in. Like you mentioned, okay. like there was duplicity within it. Um, but yeah, again, my parents knew who I was and knew who I could be. Okay. And they held me to that standard. And so it was... Um, Were they aware of the party central? I... You should go back and ask them. I should ask them. And here's why I'm, <laughs> I want to tell you this. Yeah. Okay, so I have a relative who, when she was 19 and her sister was 15 uh the 19-year-old was just never the type to go out i mean she was definitely super competitive she wanted to make a's in every class and also with sports she always wanted to come in to be number one so just think about the most competitive woman you've ever met (laughs) times two and that would be my niece well her younger sister is more relaxed and would go to the party and her parents are very aware of the party thing but the younger sister is absolutely not aware that the parents know it's really rather hilarious like the younger kid thinks she's sneaking it and she is not sneaking it I'm sure they knew I I mean I think they they were very good about asking us about things and keeping us accountable so I'm sure that in my senior high school mind I I really thought I was okay pulling a fast one but I'm sure yeah I'm Uh sure they knew but it was beautiful because they they allowed me to make mistakes you know and they allowed freedom for us um to a healthy extent, which was very, very good. Okay. Because that's how I really learned. Um, and I think that was that was big. So I'm so but it was another of those things like they never let us not go to mass with them. Okay. We were really struggling. And so that was always an expectation. And I just like if you said I'm tired, can I sleep in? They would say, No. Yeah, they, no, you can't sleep in. For sure. And I think even though there was a lot of like um, back and forth in my own heart, I've always held Sundays that's very important because of that too. okay yeah so. okay that's real good. Really good that's real good anything else you want to say about high school I don't know 
I think it's just, it's tough looking back because there were a lot of things that I wish hadn't have happened, but mm. it's also hard to say that because they were beautiful ways the Lord was working um, and they brought me to where I am today, which is significant too. So, yeah. 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 It's a tough time. It's really hard to navigate. And so it is it's just like, how much can I tell people my witness in order to like save them? from a wound or like help them to see their value and see how important they are. Yeah. And how they are, as you said. Well, I think in a later part of this talk, I'd love to ask you your advice. You know, if a 17 yeah. year old came to you and said, Hey, I really respect you, Miss Harpole. And, uh, and I need your advice, you know, so I'll, I'll have some questions for you about that later. Um, just kind of continuing with your, your story a little bit. Is there anything you'd like to add about college? Mm. I think I just I left college with some of the most solid friendships I've ever experienced okay I think if you are in college or you're about to start college just be open to to that um, reality of like strong friendships will be will be formed if you are vulnerable and that was really college for me was just being formed in such a beautiful way both intellectually and spiritually and socially Okay. Um, and yeah, it just was such a gift. Can I, can I ask, when you went to college, were you aiming for a friend group that mm -hmm. was like that or did it just happen? I think maybe a little bit of both because I, I saw my sister and her friendships that she was forming at Benedictine and I knew that was something that I really desired too. Mm -hmm. And so I came in knowing that I there was a big possibility of that happening okay. because of just the people that Benedictine attracts and... But in reality, too, like, friendships went through seasons up until probably, like, my junior year when I had my very solid friendships. And then senior year, it was just diving really deep into those, too, especially in COVID. Because we, I lived in a house of five women my senior year of college, and we quarantined for two weeks at the very beginning of the school year. Okay. And that was huge for us. Because okay. we were vulnerable, honest together in a house for two weeks and that just helped our friendships form such like deep bonds mm. senior year um, okay and that was huge so gotcha yeah. gotcha okay okay well let's go deep okay on questions of philosophy and yeah. religion but also friendship let's just start with friendship how would you define a true friend mm. 17 year old comes to you and says miss harple what is a true friend um, I would just say it's someone who is a companion to you in life. Someone that walks with you both in the triumphs of your life and also the difficulties um, and the failures too. Um, I would say someone who has a mutual sharing of values is big for me um, in friendship and is able to be vulnerable with you as mm. well. Um, like vulnerable, like admit their failings. Yeah, absolutely. admit their fears admit in life. Their fears, be able to talk about yeah meaningful things in real life. I think that's really the essence of a friend is someone who can share this mutual life with you um, and be able to love you and receive love from you through that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you heard about this whole concept of three levels of friendship, you know, like fun, useful, and virtuous? Mm -hmm. Sometimes they go under slightly different synonyms, For I sure. think, but I think that's what they mean. 
Um, what are your thoughts on that? That you have your fun friends, like maybe that's the party central friends. Right. You've got like the useful friends. Oh, that could be the kid sitting next to you in class who's making straight A's yeah. and yeah. you can get some tutoring. Right. you know, or do some tutoring. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got your virtuous friends, which are, you know, the people uh, who are going to help you become a better human, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you probably have a lot of values in common. Yeah. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on these three different ideas yeah. of friendship? No, I think they're, they are really important to be able to determine in your life who is that person, or I guess like where does that person fall within those three categories? Okay. Because I think with fun um, and with like useful friendships, they're not necessarily bad, but they have the capacity to turn into friendships of use. I yeah. Think. Oh, for sure. Right. And so I think um, I definitely have friends in my life, um, maybe even calling them like acquaintances, because friends, I think for me, is like a very, it has a lot of weight to it. It's a big word. Yeah. And so, but there are definitely people in my life that I know um, from Benedictine that we are just in settings where we have fun together yeah and it doesn't have to be like a uh yeah a setting of like sin right right it can always be just like playing games and having fun with this person and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing but I, I think it's important to recognize like those friendships are not like the deepest friendships right and that's not um, the place where you should be with all of your friendships. Okay. Just and it, it's not a bad thing, but mm-hmm. but kind of the way I'm looking at this sometimes is, okay, if I've got my fun friends over here, yeah. and, you know, it could be simple fun, like, hey, we all play volleyball together right. or something like that, and these are my fun friends, uh, but they're not going to help me with my work, yeah. so they're not useful friends, and uh, they really don't care if I become that much better of a person, sure. so they're not my virtuous friends. Mm-hmm. I, I think... I, I hate to say categorize people, um, and for the most part, I don't. Yeah. But sometimes it's a little helpful to know, hey, that is just the fun friend, yeah. because otherwise you could get disappointed, Right. I think. Yeah. You know? And I think even if you have a fun, or you like have categorized, right, like a person into fun friend, that oftentimes is the start of a like deep virtuous friendship. That's right. You know, just having mutual fun together, because that's really important, I think, in romantic relationships and friendships, the first thing that you should be asking is like, yeah, do I have good, wholesome fun with this person? Yeah. Because that's a huge part of life. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, like or it should said. be. Yeah, it should be. Yeah. Sure. I mean, if you're not having any fun, for goodness yeah, sakes. Yeah. Yeah. Go have some fun. <laughs> for sure. And there, there should be a lot of joy within that as well. Um, and I think friendships of, of usefulness, because it is, it that I think that one specifically toes a line of like, okay. Am I just using this person for, yeah, help on homework, help in life, or am I actually seeing this person um, as a person who also needs right. yeah, love and who needs to... Yeah, to yeah. they're not just here to help me get my work done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is actually a breathing, living human being, you for know, sure. who has other needs as well. Yeah. Okay. And I think maybe even, I'm kind of thinking out loud with this, but um, I think with some of the deepest friendships that I have in my life, it's um, a beautiful combination of all three of those. Oh, for sure. Right? And so, yeah. Just That's like, got to be the best friend. Yeah. Somebody who falls into all three of those categories, and then, who knows, maybe a fourth category that we don't even understand. <laughs> yeah. I know, because I think they, yeah, it's hard to categorize sometimes with friendships, because I feel like you get to a certain point with a friend where you just... You're just on the same page in those things. On all of the above. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Um, Are you familiar 
Um, new topic, kind of, sort of, with Matthew Kelly's Seven Levels of Intimacy. I am vaguely familiar with them. Okay, yeah. I'll just outline it really quickly because I, when I first read across this idea, I just thought, man, this is brilliant. And it also explained to me why I ran into a real obstacle with some people. And then it also explained to me why I could get along with some people, but things kind of stayed a little bit shallow. And uh, here was his concept. His idea basically is, is that friendships and relationships of any kind proceed through like seven stages. First, you got like the level of cliche. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how are you? And you're like, I'm fine. How are you? Yeah. You know, or I'm like, what's up, dog? You yeah. know, that kind of thing. And you're like, what's up with you? Yep. That kind of thing. Wow. Well, and then if we get past that, we'll get into facts. Mm-hmm. And then facts are going to be things like, hey, it's 72 degrees outside today. Yeah. And then you're going to be like, yes, but it's supposed to rain tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's why people talk about the weather that's because so we're at the it's level of facts. Yeah, it's a safe topic. You know, or we say, who won the game? last night and then we're like well you know it was canceled because of lack of interest or something you know so um and then the third level is opinions and this is where people really get stuck we're either going to kind of keep going or we're going to get stuck like i don't know let's say you're a vegetarian but i'm on the carnivore diet you know if we can get along despite all that then we can move on to the next layers Mm -hmm. but but if we can't, like if you're just like, meat is murder, yeah. you know, then at that point, you know, maybe we're going to be yeah, like boxing with friends. each other. And we're not going to be friends. And that's why with some people, you know, you don't talk about politics. You don't talk about religion. Mm-hmm. You don't talk about anything where an opinion could come into play. Because if you disagree on all these opinions, it could be a, a stopping point. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, they say if you have the maturity to accept differences of opinions... Mm, you know then we can kind of keep going yeah so and then the next four stages are the fourth one is hopes and dreams Mm. like your aspirations in life all the things that you want to do you feel kind of silly sharing that stuff with somebody who doesn't like you enough to accept differences of opinions for sure yeah you know so that's why you get stuck people get stuck on opinions basically Mm -hmm. um the fifth stage is feelings you know people should be able to say how they feel like you were happy today or you were sad today or you were angry about something, you know? And then after that, there's legitimate needs. These are things people need in life to be happy. And they could be different for each person. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you need to create art in order to feel fully alive. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe somebody else needs to, I don't know, go to the gym all the time, Mm -hmm. you know? Then the last one is fears and failings. And, and I think you call that being vulnerable yeah, earlier. Absolutely, sure. Being able to share, well, you know, what scares you in life? Or, yeah. or where did you fail in life? And then the other person, if they still love you, well, then that's a very deep relationship. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, what do you think about all that? Would you scramble his order? Would you take items out? Would you put items in? What would you do? No, I think that's really awesome. And I like how it's, it's a gradual increase in vulnerability, like you said, because there are definitely certain um, relationships that you are not in the place to share your deepest fears and failures, you know, and that that's a mature thing to be able to recognize because only some people should be trusted with I think like, so. the inner workings of our hearts. And I think sometimes people will fall into this. Too much, um, too fast. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's not how relationships grow. And it's, it is a gradual process. And you sometimes do have to start with the awkward conversations about the weather. And yep. that's not a bad thing to have to do. Um, but it also is good to recognize like that 
should not be the essence of a, an actual friendship. Like There should be a mutual sharing. Because I think failures and fears are some of the most vulnerable things that we could tell someone. But I've in my own life, I've experienced when someone tells me and asks, when we get to the point in friendship where someone tells me that, um, it is almost an invitation for me to share my own with them. Too. That's true. Yeah. That's true. There's uh, the law of reciprocity, mm-hmm. I guess let's call it. Yeah. You know, like if you spill your guts... Then the other person's like, well, it's 74 degrees out today, and I think the barometric pressure is rising. You know, I mean, what is like an imbalance. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right, for sure. And it, it's beautiful to get to that point where you've, you've gone through maybe like the awkward initial stages, and then you're finally able to be like, wow, okay, we are actually good friends, and I trust you, because that's a big part of it. I trust you to share in my fear and feelings, because I think that's another part of it, is just being able to share in... Um, those same fears and feelings mm-hmm. and your suffering becomes my suffering and your triumphs become my triumphs and I think that's a huge indication that your friendship has become um, a very deep rooted one yeah what do, what do you think about the fact why well, I, I feel like it's a fact that you know with brothers and sisters but then also too in 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 any type of a deep relationship it's okay to argue you know, from time to time, or it's okay to be upset with the other person. Um, hopefully, they will still be in your life for the next 70 years, yeah. you know, like in your case, for sure. you know, 22 plus 70. Yeah, hopefully, they will still be in yeah, your life, right? You know, it's so true. And I, I think I've learned a lot about conflict resolution just in college through living in community with people. Okay. And we always, my roommates always just say like, when you live in community, your, your sharp edges are softened mm. and that's a really beautiful thing to undergo. And it is tough because you, you have to have critical conversations and you have to, there's an art to confrontation and I am not a naturally co- confrontational person. Well, I'm not either. Yeah, for I'm sure. I'm not either. Well, I've had children. Of I've, course we're not. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm, and, a, I'm an ENFP if you do the Myers-Briggs yeah. and we prefer that everybody get along sure. and be friendly and, and yeah. you're very similar, I think. Yes, absolutely. And I think, but I have come to realize it's sometimes in those conflicts and critical conversations, if you can make those fruitful, then your friendship becomes deeper than ever before. I think so. Right? So, I think yeah. so. But I mean, my, my goal is to, I guess, tell people the truth and do it in a very loving and yeah. diplomatic way. Absolutely. Uh, in, in some Catholic circles, I've heard people say, what do they say? Truth without love is cruelty. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I would re- I would also say love without truth isn't love at all. For sure. It's just feelings. And yeah. Love yeah. without truth is being polite. For it's sure. it's being which nice. yeah, it's being nice. It's not being real. No. Which I, I always feel like, hey, when you tell people the truth, you're kind of giving them a compliment. Yeah, because you, you know Yeah, you're saying I I love you enough to be honest with you. To be honest and with I you. And I think you have the capacity to receive yeah. the truth. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Yeah. Very good recognition. But, but I, I guess I do aim for diplomacy mm-hmm. with that too. Like they say, it's okay to call a spade a spade. You don't have to call it like a manure shovel, right? you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of an old say, you that's know. So, yeah. So. so, and I still, I still can grow in that. I think that's something that's hard still for me is to be direct with people. And it's funny because as a teacher, you really do have to start You do. That. You do because, yeah. yeah, when you're talking to, say, anybody who's 14 through 18, right. I, I, I used to, like, say things and I would realize, okay, I'm implying something and they are absolutely not understanding right. what I'm implying. You know, 
that if you want somebody to sit down, then you say, please sit down. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you hint or whatever, how are they supposed to pick it up? Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And that's been a, a very beautiful process this first year of teaching of learning how to correct in love and, yeah, be honest in love because yep. that's all we are called to do. Yep. So. I used to play volleyball with a team where one girl would yell, watch it, when what she meant was don't hit it, the ball's going out. And I was thinking, well, who's not watching it? I mean, it took me like three games before I figured out what she meant right. by that. If she just would have yelled out, you know, yeah. or don't hit it, it would have been clear to me For sure. what she was saying, but she was being very nice, yep. very diplomatic yep. about the whole thing. And that, that, yeah, like you said, that can get confusing sometimes. Yeah, it can get very confuzzling, I mm -hmm. think. Okay. Um, other essential aspects to friendship, um, what, what would you add? Because mm. we talked about, I guess, vulnerability and honesty and having the best interest of the other person. Is yeah. there anything else that you would just really want to add? I think those really cover it. It's just, I think communication is key. Being able to receive communication and being direct in communication, right. which I think plays into honesty as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, making making that friend a certain priority in life too. Okay. When things get busy, you still reach out and you yes. still are able to um, drop certain things if they, if they call. And I think that's another really important about friendship. And I think I've realized that a lot just from this first couple yeah, for six months out of college is okay. Like, we have to still pour into these friendships even if it's not convenient. Yeah. And so I think taking the initiative. I like how you say, yeah, you have to put in the time, you have to take the initiative. And I, I guess that just means actions speak louder than words. For sure. Absolutely. Okay. That's really yeah. good. And and let me just add sense of humor. Oh yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm well, sure. let's move on to the topic of love. Okay. Because we've been talking about friendship, let's uh, raise the game okay. all the way up to love. Um, how do you define love? Um, I think love is an intentional choice that we make. It can certainly be accompanied by good feelings, but I think ultimately it is a choice. It's a choice. To will the good of another. Primarily, it's a choice and, and feelings are secondary. Yes, I would say okay. so for sure. Um, yeah, it's the, I think it's the intentional willing the, the good and truth over another person. Okay. My mom used to say when I was a kid, like, uh, like, I don't know, you'd be like five or six and you'd say about your brother or your sister, I hate them. And then she would say, uh, no, change that to, you don't like what they mm -hmm. did. You still mm -hmm. love them. You just don't like them very much right now. Right. So, I mean, I guess that's that kind of that whole choice idea that yeah. you're choosing to love this person that you're thinking about straggling, sure. essentially. <laughs> yeah, I think that's very true because feelings come and go. But if you make an intentional choice to love, I think that's really the essence of, okay. of what it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like that, that it's a choice. Um, and then the quote that I really like by John Paul II is, love wills the good of the mm -hmm. other, yeah. which I, I had to translate into my own phrase as love does what's in the best interest For of sure. the other person. Yeah. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, I think what is really important with those two kind of definitions of it is that you have to understand what the good of another person actually is. Yeah, you have to kind of think it through. Yeah, and you have to know what the person, like who a person is. We have to have an understanding of the human person in order to know what's good for the human person. So it, it wraps up a lot of just... Yeah, knowing 
how we were created, what we were created for, okay. and then how to help other people like get to that. Okay, so remind me, what are we created for once again? We're, well, I think in short, like... I forgot why I was created. I woke up this morning, I was like, why am I here? Yes. I think we're created for relationship. Okay. We're created for relationship primarily with, with our creator, God the Father. Okay. We're created for communion. Um, I think we are. And honestly, okay, have you seen this movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? Yes. Okay, so I mean, if people haven't seen it, he's uh, he gets stranded on an island for something like four years. It's just him and a volleyball named Wilson sure. and a bunch of coconuts. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. And I think the reason everybody is so fascinated mm-hmm. by this movie is because nobody wants to be in this situation. Yeah. I, I don't care how reclusive you are. Uh, you still at least want to be able to wave at the mailman from time to time. I think this is why all these lockdowns this past year have just ratcheted up the mental disorders. And they they said, like, a lot of people gained a lot of weight. I think they're stress eating. I really do. So, so yeah, I just nobody wants to be in that situation Mm -hmm. where you're isolated like that. So, so, okay, so we're here to be in relationship. Right, and in in true relationship, too, relationship that brings us to our final end, which is unity with the Father, unity with God. Um, And so I think within relationships, it's being in a relationship that gives true freedom in the sense of being able to choose virtuous things um, easily and freely. And And not have to wrestle with yourself. Right, yeah. Right, like if I have to wrestle with myself, you know, do I do seek daytime drinking? Well, then that's like pretty rough right. you know like it's if I have to sit form. there and wrestle with myself right. all the time yeah so I know? think just loving someone is treating them in a way that is in unity with what they were created for okay okay mm-hmm. and, I, and I feel like our relationship with God uh, it gets hinted at by our relationship with friends and family yeah. and people like that and the more somebody knows and understands us the more that's a a godlike trait for sure but but the thing is even in those relationships they only know us so well Mm -hmm. and so i guess we only know ourselves so well yeah so i mean even those relationships are just a shadow of what god can give for us Mm -hmm. so that's so true just a thought yeah i know i think that's so true and there is a hierarchy of of friendship where if you are in friendship with the father it'll be a lot easier Easier. yeah your friendships fall in line with that oh and why is that why do, why do you say, is it because, I guess, we know what a good relationship is? Yeah, I would say so. I think our our primary relationship that we're made for is with, with God. Mm-hmm. So if that is in place, then I think the secondary relationships, relationships. would fall into an order. Okay. Because okay. we can't give love, or I guess we can't give true love, unless we're connected to the source. Of okay. Love. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I guess if I don't know what a good relationship looks like... Mm-hmm then how do I duplicate it? For sure. So that'd be pretty rough. Um, Okay, so then we've got C.S. Lewis, Mm -hmm. and he has what he calls the four loves, and I can't even pronounce some of them. So maybe you can kind of help me out here. Okay. Uh, I think there's uh, philia. Is Mm -hmm. that or Philia love. Okay, and then how do you say the next one? Is it storage or storage? Oh, storge? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. We'll go with that. Okay, Okay. eros, (laughs) and then agape. Uh, So, and then... Put into more common words, these are friendship, affection, romantic love, and unconditional, self-sacrificial love. Mm-hmm. And I would just love to have your comments on on all four of these. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I think philia is a lot of what we, we talked about too. Just having like... Um, good friends. Good friends, having friendships that are rooted in those three aspects of what we talked about of fun and usefulness and also virtue okay. as well. And again, like all... I think with the friendship of fun and usefulness... Um, they have the capacity to be good. They have the capacity to be bad. So I think true filial love is entering into a deep bond of friendship with someone else. Okay. Um, and then storge. That's yeah, that's like the familiarity, if I understand right, right? Yeah. or affection. Yeah, and I think that's interesting because I think it points to the fact that we are we are material beings that like naturally experience affection for different people, whether it's in your family or people that you've just known for a long time, there are particular bonds with people depending on the passage of time okay. and the affection that you share with them too. Um, yeah, because it's beautiful. Even though they're they're all in different, almost like definitions and categories, I think all of them can be wrapped up in our relationships too because there definitely is a certain affection with a friend that you have and yeah. with family members that's yeah. different. But yeah. Okay, okay. And then uh, I guess what are your thoughts on romantic love? Yeah, I think it's a maybe even a deeper step from um, Storge of just knowing that we're material okay. um, and that our sexuality is a huge part of what it means to be human. And the Lord did not make a mistake on that. Like I think, okay. I think, I don't know who said this. I've gotten it somewhere, but um, the world doesn't think too much about our sexuality. It thinks too little of it. Oh, it interesting. Is, yeah, it's such a big gift and. If we can live into it um, more, like romantically, I think uh-huh. that's a huge part of the human person that people just kind of think that the church um, wants to suppress, but in reality, it just okay. wants it to be purified and right. truly good. Right. Yeah. And I kind of talking about eros and agape specifically, um, just this this concept of how they are different, but they should be in union was really interesting mm. to me in college. Um, as I was studying theology, we, um, in one of my classes, read um, a work, a writing called Deus Caritas Est from Pope Benedict XVI. Okay. Um, and he wrote it in 2005, and he talks a lot about how eros and agape um, in the minds of the world are very different. And Separate. Right. But in reality, they, they are this like one... Because one's romantic love, and then the other one is self-sacrificial love. Exactly. And gosh, well, I mean, just, I guess if you think about a marriage, it should probably have every type of love. Absolutely. You know, the sacrificial, the romantic, the affectionate, mm-hmm. the friendship. Yeah. Everything should be present, essentially. Yeah, That's kind of what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. and I have, I don't know if we want to share it now, but yeah. I, this whole concept of Eros and Agape needing to be different, but in union with each other. Yeah. It was really interesting. I have just a quote that I've always loved. Yeah, please do. From Deus Cartes Est. Um, And he's talking about, Pope Benedict is talking about these two different loves together. And he says, there is a certain relationship between love, in the sense of Eros, and the divine. Love promises infinity, eternity, a reality far greater and totally other than our everyday experience in existence. Yet we have also seen that the way to attain this goal is not simply by submitting to instinct. Purification and growth and maturity are called for, and these also pass through the path of renunciation. Far from rejecting or poisoning eros, they heal it and restore it to true grandeur. Mm. So instead of seeing eros, like a romantic love, as something that is impure, 
when it is connected to this agape, like self-sacrifice, it actually becomes what it's supposed to be. Which I is, like that. Yeah, this very deep reality. I like that because I, I feel like, uh, I guess love would be like a lot of things in life. Uh, there's, you know, the really good version and then there's the really bad version and then there's a bunch of things that are kind of muddled and mixed. Yeah and so forth. And uh, some people just solve the whole problem of that by getting rid of something completely. They just like get it out of their life entirely. And I feel like, you know, that's a big mistake. For sure. Like you're really missing out. Instead of just condemning something or running from something, maybe we should be aiming for the best version of that thing. Yeah. And I think agape love, like self-sacrifice will always draw that into it because of the nature of sacrifice i think yeah it purifies even what we don't see yeah a lot of the times oh i like that it purifies even could you could you give an example of that i mean i think it goes back to just if you are living a life of virtue um in your relationship with god i think your relationships with friends and with a spouse or with like a significant other are also just naturally purified oh i see yeah. okay i gotcha yeah i gotcha that makes sense yeah yeah, okay. Um, do you have favorite romantic books or movies? Yes, I actually do. So um, there is a book called Redeeming Love, and it's by Francine Rivers. Okay, I've not heard of it. Okay, it's awesome. It's kind of like a historical fiction book, um, but it's based off of the book of Hosea in the okay. Bible. And so it takes place um, in California during the gold rush time. And it's all about just this woman who, I think she's living as like a prostitute in one of the the gold rush like towns. And then um, this guy comes around who's like representative of Hosea. And it's just this whole story of like her redemption and this like purification in her life and how he was able to be a part of that. And they both were able to help each other in those ways. Okay, so so what, what what happens in the book of Hosea? So, yeah. Hosea is asked to take, um, like, a prostitute as his wife. Okay. Like, the Lord asks him to do that. And he... And he's like, thanks. Yeah, he's like, what is going on? <laughs> and it's this whole this whole story of, yeah, this purification that happens. Okay. Because at the time that they get married, like, she still is kind of wayward and doesn't okay. really know what's going on. Um, and then it's just like this whole story of redemption. So this this is a book in the Bible where God is is asking this man to take this prostitute as his wife, mm-hmm. and then that happens, and then I guess uh, then they live happily ever after. Yeah, okay. and it takes a lot. It okay, takes a lot. Takes a lot. Yeah, I mean, nothing is smooth and easy, and lots mm-hmm. of okay. And that's the book in the Bible. And then somebody updated that, so to speak, for the eighteen mm-hmm. forties California Gold Rush. Yep, that's. Pretty wild it's idea. Really wild. Yeah. And yeah. I've never read any other Francine Rivers books, but she has a lot of books that are kind of similar to that. Okay. Just taking this, yeah, this theological story or concept and then turning it into an Transposes it into a historical fiction. Yeah. Okay. For sure. Okay. Have you ever read Gone with the Wind? I have actually never read that book. Okay. I, I totally recommend that you see this movie. Yeah. And the thing is, okay, like I, I'm a typical guy. I like the action movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I like, I don't know, we guys, we need like something exciting to happen, like nuclear war or something yeah. like that to make a movie interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the thing is, Gone with the Wind did get me uh, sometime after I turned 30 because yeah. it actually, it's got everything. It's got the boy plot. And it's got the girl plot, you know, because it's got the war and it's got like the action and all the rest of that. But it's got the 
girl plot because it's got the the romance mm. and all of that. And so I'm just going to recommend that you okay, see that and then get back to me on that because I, I I mean some people have seen it like 20 times. Yeah, it's like the most popular movie in human history. Sure. I think it's sold more tickets than E.T. or Star Wars yeah. or Raiders of the Lost Ark or avatar or titanic etc like it it basically sinks titanic to the bottom of the ocean it's really something and then the book too has just sold uh as far as i know something like 30 million copies like i i looked it up and i guess publishers keep really terrible records especially since the book came out in like i don't know the 1930s so that was a long time ago and so like nobody really knows how many copies it's sold But okay, so I mean, she is an extreme character in the book, Scarlett O'Hara. And then Rhett Butler is kind of like this dashing man's man, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's also a big smartass. So, I mean, it's really interesting. Yeah, Yeah, because she's she's fiery and passionate, and he's just this total sarcastic smartass dude who also could get the job done, you know? So it's just a very interesting... You know, and they, they come together, only that go apart, only they come together, only they go... I mean, right, it's a right, roller coaster relationship. Yeah. So, I mean, well, and then it's got the historical plot, too, because it takes place before, during, and after the Civil War. Okay. So then it's got that whole drama going on. And Margaret Mitchell wrote it in the 1930s, which is, uh, you know, like 70 years after the Civil War, and she is unapologetically pro-Southern. Yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting, too, because wow. she's she's writing it as a historical novel when she wrote it, but then we read it in a completely different way, perhaps, mm-hmm. than what she intended. Mm-hmm. We might. I don't know. I mean, Gone with the Wind is bigger than anything I could say about it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I have my little commentary, and then people will forget what I say and yeah. they will just go back to Gone with the Wind, you know? So yeah, I think I, I just want you to read it sometime and I want to see if you like it okay. or, or if you throw it across the room. No, yeah, I'm very open to reading that. I love reading, so. Okay, just, it's yeah. like 1,500 pages long. Oh it's a gosh, doorstop. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So if you're just some light reading, yeah, just some light <laughs> reading. Yeah, it, nice. it might suck you in for a whole weekend. Wow. You never know. I know. You never so know. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, it's got all this. Um, OK, uh, what other books or movies uh, are, are there others or, yeah. or should we move on? I think, well, I, I was thinking of another book that is as dynamic as you were kind of saying. God OK, God. it's just okay. my, one of my favorite books. And there's a really beautiful love story within it. But it's called Island of the World, and it's okay. by Michael O'Brien. Oh, okay. I, I know I've heard of Michael yeah, O'Brien. I read one of his books. so good. He's one of my favorite authors. Um, he has other series, and one of okay. my other books, Father Elijah, is also really I read that one. Yeah, That's that the one, one I read. Really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and he is a Catholic writer, but this book is just a fictional book. Right. About, yeah. A He's boy. a novelist. Yeah. He's a novelist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A boy named Joseph, and it goes through his whole life, essentially. Um, and it's just this beautiful, he's from Croatia okay. and he experiences like a lot of tragedy at the beginning of his life. And then it's this whole story of how he's coming back from it and kind of battling like this, this communist party within there. Um, and there's a beautiful just love story between him and, um, Ariadna is her name. And it's just, yeah, there's so many, there are like little letter excerpts from them within it and they're just really, really beautiful. And very rooted in and true agape love too. So I, I, I That's a good one. Yeah, I always recommend that that's like my favorite book. Island of the World. Island of the World. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um but yeah, I also think like fun rom coms are 
fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I would totally want to hear about yeah, that. The one that I always love to watch is How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. I think that's Oh, I've seen that. Hilarious. Okay, yeah, I actually was kind of on a Matthew McConaughey binge oh, yeah. for a while. And uh, there's about three or four of those movies that uh, that are worth seeing, I think, like five times yeah. each. And that's one of them. I think it's so funny. Yeah, Just that's very concept. funny. So yeah. I recommend Well, because what's cool about it is, is that the reason these two date, this is kind of the premise is, mm-hmm. is like he needs to do something for work, yeah. essentially. And she needs to do something for work. And so they both start dating and the premise is, okay, they don't know that they're being used right. by the other person. Right. And I, I guess, I don't know, maybe a bunch of romantic relationships out in the world have always been cases where yeah. the guy's using the girl and the girl's using the guy yeah. and we really don't love each other. And here they're just making explicit because I, I think they both have a promotion mm-hmm. that, yeah, that could know. happen. Yeah, it could happen if they just successfully use this other person. Yeah. Well, and then, of course, since it's a rom-com, they fall in love. I know, and they're not able to actually continue to use the person. Which is, right. Yeah, it's really Yeah, Yeah, they, they realize that, uh, money, money. Mm-hmm. who gives a crap? Yeah. You know, we don't need this no-sticking promotion. Yeah. We've got love. Right, yeah, it's so beautiful. It is great. And it's hilarious, it is great. too. It is it's great. Really funny. Um, yeah, gosh, okay, um, not to dovetail too much on Matthew McConaughey, but I mean, hey. he is the bomb. He is. You know, okay, so the other <laughs> movie that I've seen like six times, yeah. and I wish everybody in America would watch this mm-hmm. thing, is Failure to Launch. Oh, man. I've heard of that, but I don't know okay. if I've ever watched it. Well, here's the basic premise. Uh, this guy is about 34, and he's living at home. And so mom and dad are doing the laundry. They're cooking the food. Oh, no. uh, they're doing all of the chores. And uh, he's got two friends who are in the same spot. And these guys have the greatest life. I mean, sure, some of them have jobs, some of them don't have jobs, some of them have very good jobs. Yeah. Uh, they have basically uh, 100% full-time maid and butler, you know, that's their parents, you oh know, and, and they're just 34, living at home, and uh, what do they do in their spare time? They go paintballing, they swim with the dolphins, they hike through the Amazon, they go rock climbing. Yeah. Uh, they're, some of them are dating some very, very impressive women. They're just having, like, it's carefree, it's easy, it's fun. And they are 34 living in their parents' house. Oh and that's the basic premise about failure to launch. Yeah. They, they didn't launch. They didn't launch. They yeah. didn't launch. So that's I've so seen funny. this like six times. I should watch it. And well, it's, McConaughey, it? it's so great. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey. Nice. It's like, I think it's the best... Well, I mean, yeah. Then also his book, Green Lights. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to recommend it. That's his okay. autobiography. Nice. I read that sucker twice. Wow. It's so good. Yeah, he's really inspirational. I've, I've read a lot of just yep. short speeches from him or just articles. and. Yep. He, yeah. Now, he's like 50, so if he's president when he's 70, right. people can go back and, and wonder about yes, that. Yes, that's so you know? true. Yeah, that's so, so, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, because who knows? Maybe he'll be running, you know. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, um, yeah. So, at any other Matthew McConaughey's out I there that you're? I don't think so. Okay, he's a great actor. I th- yes, he's he a has great fun actor. Car commercials. I remember those being kind of fun. I don't remember what type of car it was, but he's okay. definitely in some car commercials. Okay, yeah, he's got personality plus. Yeah. That's for sure. Okay, um, okay. So, let's see. Why don't we kind of get back on your life story a little bit? Okay. Um, and I think we kind of talked a little bit about childhood, teen, and college years, but mm-hmm. is there just anything you want to add? I don't know. Yeah, I just really loved being the middle child growing up. Okay. 
Um, when I was really little, I've lived in the same house in Littleton my whole life. Oh. Um, and we, yeah, my parents were just, they let us roam. We lived on three acres. Okay. Um, kind of in a suburb, but more rural than like just a normal suburb. Um, and there was a, a pond in the back of our, of our yard. That was actually not our pond. It was the neighbor's pond. Okay. But the neighbors would always let me and my brother and sister play there. And so I just spent so much time outside as a, as a child and, um, some of my favorite memories and just learning how to, yeah, make up games and fish with my brother and make forts and like all that. So I just had a really active, and, active, yeah, very active okay. childhood, um, lots of creativity. And, are, are you still active? Yes. I love being outside. Okay. I love being outside. I Me love too. going home to Colorado and, and hiking. I was just hiking there this past weekend. Um, and it's just always been a huge part of my life. So it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Sure. It's awesome. Okay. Uh, let's see. Theology teacher. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you ever said why of all the things that you could have done. Yeah. Why did you become a theology teacher? Yeah. Especially since like how, when did you know too? Because yeah. if, if high school, if that was kind of like party central, right. <laughs> and then you go to college and then college is more sincere. But when did you know you yeah. wanted to teach theology? Yeah. And why? For sure. I think, so I think the seed was first planted um, when I was in middle school. Okay. Because I went to a Catholic grade school um, really close to my house. And my middle school religion teacher, um, he was this younger guy. He had a young family. And he was just very on fire with the faith. Um, and he honestly suffered a lot from some of the families in our in our school of like, push back on him teaching certain things from the church. And um, it was really beautiful to see, though, because when I was in seventh grade, he had us read this little book by Chris Stefanik called Absolute Relativism. Okay. And it was it was explaining what relativism was in this concept that the world thinks that there is no absolute truth. And I was in seventh grade when I first read this. And I, I remember him saying, like, people will think that you can't learn this, but you have to learn this before you go to high school. Mm. Um, and that just stayed with me for so long because that like having that concept of what relativism was in my mind just laid this really awesome foundation of me knowing for sure that there is truth okay we can know it okay yeah could you clarify for people when you say relativism Mm -hmm. what do you mean by that yeah so it's this whole philosophy that is very um permeated in our world today that you can come up with your own objective. I so Objective truth isn't really a thing. Okay. It's like you can come up with your own truth. You can define who you are. Okay. Um, and coming off of that, so many things with like gender and thinking that every religion is like the one true religion uh-huh. or that it doesn't matter what you believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just really unravels because if we're saying that there, if we're proclaiming the truth that there is no absolute truth, then even that itself is saying that it is not right, right, right. true, right? Yeah, so, you're carving in stone yeah. that there's no absolute truth, damn it. Yeah, you and know? it's like, what? So, yeah, just this whole concept that... Somebody like, once said to me, all generalizations are bad. Right. You're like... <laughs> I'm like, all generalizations oh, are, sure? are bad? Right. Is that a generalization? And it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make logical sense. No, no, it doesn't because that's not how people lead their life because I, I, I walk around acting as though gravity is a fact right. like all day subjective. long and it turns out that gravity is a fact Right. and if I pretend that it's not, well, I, I guess I could fling myself off of buildings exactly. and fly like Clark Kent. Yeah, and it's 
we have to recognize that there is a truth that is bigger and outside of us yeah. that we can't change based on our yeah. opinion. Because that is how we love. Like, if we don't know this absolute truth, we are not able to love yeah. in the way that we are ought to. Like, ought to. And then we're also not able, yeah, just to really live okay. how we were created to live. So, so that one really stuck with you. Yeah, and I was, I remember, like, so clearly seventh grade, um, I just knew that it was important that I knew that. See, I've gotten a little cynical about this whole relativism idea because I feel like absolutely nobody on the face of the earth actually believes in relativism. Right. I, like, there's not a person out there who's a strong advocate for it who believes it. I feel like when people say, hey, things are relativistic, uh, like everything's relativistic, I think what they're really doing is just trying to undermine my beliefs. For sure. Or undermine somebody else's beliefs yeah. just by saying, well, who can tell? Who can tell? I, I feel like, of course, there's things that are true. Like yeah. we just, I just mentioned gravity. But also, too, I mean, there's moral things. <laughs> like most people would agree that theft is bad, right. you know, and that murder is wrong. People would agree with these statements. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I just feel like people proposing relativism are doing it to maybe undermine somebody else's sure. set of values, preferably so they can sneak in their own. Yeah. So I, I guess I've just become kind of cynical yeah. about the people proposing this as a legitimate philosophy. I agree for sure. Because the, the truth, the objective truth holds everything together. Right. And if we actually believed in relativism, everything would just fall apart. Everything plus why would I get up in the morning right. and go to work? That's I would so have true. to re-question every habit I have. Yep. Why do I brush my teeth? I would have to scrutinize <laughs> that. But as a relativist, I would realize, hey, there's no good answer. No. So then should I brush my teeth? Should I not brush my teeth? Yeah. I guess it's all just whimsical. It loses, loses all meaning. Too. Right. And now, so, yeah, he... He really ingrained that in us, and I just I remember feeling so inspired by that. And he knew that we could handle a challenge. And so after that, um, going into high school, I knew that that always stuck with me, even if it was kind of suppressed. Okay. And then in college, when I started really entering into like studying theology, because I I it's funny I from the beginning was always a double major in theology and education, just. Okay. By happenstance, kind of? Yeah. I don't know. I just never really thought about it, and I just did it. Okay. And then that continued to be my double major all throughout college. And wait, wait. What was your double? Um, secondary education. Oh, okay. And theology. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. And then, yeah, the more I studied theology and the more I studied education, I just saw how deeply connected they were together. And how I knew that if I was in a classroom, I would not want to teach anything other than okay. theology okay. explicitly. So... I, I want to say one other quick thing on relativism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's on the flip side. It's on the absolutism side mm -hmm. of things. Mm -hmm. I think being objective is a goal. Yeah. Like, I think that's our goal. Our goal is to, like, figure out what the truth of various situations is. Um, I think related to that, that's not easy. Mm -hmm. That's really, really hard. So I think this is kind of like the bind we people are in. Things aren't relative. So that's a bind because, okay, some of my opinions might actually be wrong right. because, because they're wrong. Okay. But then on the flip side, okay, I'm trying, I'm trying to be objective and then that's difficult. Right. I, I might think I know what is true. And then I find out later, mm, no, I had about six errors, yeah. you know, in that statement. And so, gosh, and I've been acting on false information. Right. So I, I just think that, hey, it's, a, it's hard to be objective it's our goal yeah. and and it's just a tough bind that we're in yeah and it takes humility to recognize that 
Yeah. We might not always be. That I was wrong. Mm -hmm. They even have a name for that in psychology. I think it's cognitive dissonance. And it's where you used to think something, and then later you find out, oh, wait a minute, that's not even true. Yeah. And, and what if I believed it for 10 years? Right. And now I found out, oh, my goodness, that's false. Yeah. Well, then, of course, it, it puts me mentally in a bind at that point because I'm like, yeah, but wait a minute. I kind of want right. to stick with this thing over here mm-hmm. that I was... So I, that's that's my take on it. Yeah, we're we're in a rough spot. We are. You yeah. know, we need humility. We need to recognize how much we need grace and mercy. And yeah, yeah, the Lord wants to provide that too, which is yeah. Do you, do you mind if I ask you your advice for other people? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I've got a whole bunch of good questions here. At least I think they're good. Okay. So as a <laughs> theology teacher, what advice would you have for the average Christian mm-hmm. who would like to get closer to God? Um, I would say primarily make time for prayer every single day. Okay. Because if we, yeah, if we desire to grow closer to him, we must be in communication with him. Um, and I would say make it um, as best to your ability an unchangeable time. I think okay. that's super key. For me, if I don't pray um, in the mornings, like my whole day is thrown off. Mm, um, and okay. just being, yeah, being docile to what the Holy Spirit okay. is wanting to, to give you, but giving him the space to do that. Okay. Um, so, so you're saying it's actually got to be a scheduled activity. I think it should be. I think it should be a non-negotiable okay. within your day. Gotcha. Um, and I, I think that's kind of the key. And it's hard because sometimes there are good feelings associated with it. And sometimes you feel really dry. Okay. But the important thing is, is that you're doing it. Okay. And I think that's... Just keep key. putting in the effort. Keep putting in the effort. Okay. It's yeah. it's like everything else in life. With a friend, maybe your friend wants to go to a certain movie. Mm-hmm. You don't particularly want to go, but you want to honor the friendship. Right. And so I guess that's what you mean by dry. It's yeah. like sometimes we don't feel like we're getting a result. Absolutely. Okay. But, mm-hmm. but keep it up. Yes. Because every time the Lord is present and the Lord is listening, whether okay. or not we feel or not. And I think... A lot of times when you are feeling dryness in prayer, it means that you're maturing in prayer, okay. which is a really good sign. Okay. And so I think, um, yeah, in the Lord's wisdom and mysterious plan, he often gives like good feelings at the very beginning. And then as we get closer to him, those feelings come away because we want to be like truly choosing to love him. Um, and I think... Because he's kind of testing our sincerity. Yeah, I basically, think he's kind of like, calling us to a deeper desire. Okay, okay. Yeah. Like things felt great in the beginning when it was new and right. it was novel, yeah. but but you have the persistence. For sure. Okay. And that's ultimately better for us. Too, okay. I Do I have to clean up my life and behavior in order to get closer to God? I think becoming closer to God would naturally result in living a more virtuous life okay and i think living a more virtuous life like cleaning up behavior in a sense um makes us maybe more able to be close to the lord okay because i think the more we're living in sin the harder it is for us there is an actual gap that happens every time we sin like a gap is formed between us and the lord and i think the more you can um like personally try to close that gap the the easier i think it is to be able to communicate with him okay the easier it is for us to hear him okay. as well too. i'm kind of hearing like virtuous circle here a little bit that so. if yeah. i get closer to god my behavior will naturally clean up mm-hmm. and if my behavior starts to clean up i will get closer to god i think yeah i would say okay that. i think the more we live in the truth um 
the easier it is for us. It's going to be a natural process. Right, I think so. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, if you think about it, the the closer we get to the most pure, the more pure we become. Okay, okay, Yeah. okay. Maybe it's kind of like, I don't know, the more I exercise, the more I crave foods that are good Mm -hmm. for me. You know, that kind of thing. Um, Okay, how does a person act with more love? Um, I think, so, St. John Paul II has this beautiful quote, concept of, um, yeah, just a sincere gift of self. Okay. Yeah, that man finds himself through a sincere gift of self. Okay. And I think if you are, number one, recognizing meaning in your life, um, and then number two, like, making the intentional effort to give of yourself to others. Okay. In the sense of, um... Yeah, like losing losing yourself in service to okay. others. And I think um, you must remain rooted in the love of the Father. And I think that goes back to like, if you have a good relationship with God, I think your your human relationships kind of fall into place. Okay. Um, but I think through giving of yourself in a sincere gift is, is an increasing, yeah, capacity to love. Okay. 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 Um, let's see. I have, I think, maybe two more along these lines. Um, How do I become a deeper thinker overall? I mean, you majored in theology. I did not. I am shallow, Mary. No. Oh, my goodness. No, (laughs) definitely not. Um, I think you must let yourself experience silence every day. Okay. Okay. Because we are so surrounded by noise, and I think that really distracts us from wrestling with hard questions okay i think you must be okay with silence you must be okay with being alone okay um and again we're not made to be lonely and like alone all the time right but i think you have to be okay in being in silence and being by yourself okay um because yeah silence is the ground in which we can really see where like seeds have Mm. been planted and i think unless we we let ourselves reflect we won't be able to go deeper into anything isn't there a part of the Bible where basically God says something along the lines that, you know, hey, I went trying to listen to God and I don't know, I, I, I went by the thunderstorm, and, yeah. but God wasn't in the thunder, wasn't in the lightning, and then there was a windstorm, but God wasn't in the wind. Right. And then finally, what is it? Like either like, still small we heard the still mm-hmm. small voice in the, in, in the silence. Yeah, just in like okay. a small breeze. And I think okay. that's so true. I. Um, yeah, a religious sister that I know said that God's first language is silence. Okay. And I think that's, that's so true. And we, we need that. We need silence in our lives. We need to be able to be still and to rest and hear those small voices and those small movements of our hearts. Because there's so much clutter. Oh, for sure. Uh, auditory clutter. Yes. Otherwise. Yeah. Well, and then plus there's all the social media sites. Right. Okay. So like I took my Facebook, we're recording this on October the 13th, somewhere I don't remember when, but in the beginning of August, I deactivated my Facebook account and have not been back on Facebook since then. And uh, I, I've just felt ridiculous amounts of peace and my life is very busy and I like to read in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, and gosh, this is a little nuts even for me, but I think I read 35 books from April until August and then school started, but yeah, yeah, I was just, uh, well, I'd I'd like to walk and read. So I'd like get a book and, and take a walk for like an hour 
walk three, four miles, something like that while yeah. reading, do that once a day. I just like zip through books. Right. But yeah, I guess not, I'm not trying to say like Facebook is the worst thing in the world because it's maybe only the second worst thing in the world, right. you know, but I actually also deleted my Twitter. I just woke up one morning in February yeah. and mm-hmm. just deleted mm-hmm. it. And I've just been very, very happy yeah, without think- these things. If you, yeah, you have to declutter your life and really take into perspective, like, are these things giving me peace right? or are they bringing me distraction or stress? Right. And I think we have to let ourselves be bored. Yeah. We have to, because that's when the creative thinking really happens. Yeah. You read my mind. Yeah. I was just thinking that that boredom is where creativity comes For from. Sure. A lot of psychologists have pointed this out. Like, well, take little kids. They're bored. They're like, mom, I'm bored. Then she's like, go outside and play. Yeah, and that's exactly what my parents did for us. And that created, we came up with games. Like yeah. we, we learned how to fish. Like I said, like we, we were able to learn all these life things that were really good. And I, I always get so frustrated when I see like a family out at dinner at a restaurant and they just give their child an iPad or a phone and that's their dinner essentially. Right. Like you ha- they have to learn how to be bored. Right. And then within that, they can learn how to have conversations at the table and not have this instant gratification that every boredom is met with. I I like to do creative things. Mm -hmm. I I like to do podcasts. I like to have conversations. I like to write creatively. And uh, and yeah, I mean, if I'm just thinking uh, other people's thoughts 24 hours a day Mm -hmm. with, with, I don't know, the news or podcasts or social media, um, I don't know. It's a problem. Yeah. It's a problem. I want to say one other quick thing about boredom that I read that I I thought was terrific. Everybody hates being bored, Mm -hmm. comma, but it won't kill you. And I thought that is true. It feels like death, but it actually isn't. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where your brain rebels because your brain is like, oh my God, I am so bored right now. Just, you know, I just, I could be nibbled to death by ducks, <laughs> and that would be so much better. Right. <laughs> and so then that's when you come up with an idea. It is. You know, you're yeah. like, I could go to the zoo. Mm-hmm. I could visit the ducks. Maybe they could nibble me. Yeah. You know, you come up with something. You let your so, mind. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think I, one thing I always try to tell my students, too, is boredom and fun are both mindsets. Yes. And it's up to you. Like, you can oh, make any good. situation bored or like boring Uh and you can make any situation fun and it's it's really up to you to do that Um, i think that's true yeah and once you once you realize just the power your mindset has your whole life can become yeah this beautiful adventure and it's all about a mindset love it yeah love it i was uh, actually subbing in a class the other day for two 14 year olds well there was like 29 14 year olds in there and ordinarily i don't teach 14 year olds i have juniors and seniors right well they are all like puppies on crack. Yeah. They have so much energy. It's just unbelievable. And there were these two girls, and they're supposed to be working on their math. And so at first I was like, please be quiet, work on your math. Second time I'm like, please be quiet, work on your math. I mean, because they are just chatty, 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 right. chatty, chatty. And they're laughing and giggling <laughs> and having a good time. And I was so happy to see them yeah. being so happy Actually, especially after a year and a half of like lockdowns and people wearing masks and things like that. And they were just being the 14-year-old girls that they were meant to be. And they were just like laughing and joking and just so high energy. So the third time I went to them and I said, would you like to be on a podcast? And so then I invited them, you know, and so hopefully they will show up tomorrow. 
I sent them a reminder email, but on the other hand, they're 14. That's true. So, they so I may never see them like again, yeah, you know, that's, that's so true. they go to our school, but you know, like I couldn't, yeah, I just, I met up for the first time. I couldn't pick them out. That's hilarious. A crowd. So yeah. That's so, so funny. And then one of them says to the other one, see, if you get in trouble in class, they invite you to be on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah, was pretty true. awesome. Like they're just living, living. They're living, living their life up. the yeah. way that they should live it up. Okay. Oh, um, last two questions for advice. Okay. I think I said one, but but it's going to be two if that's okay. Okay, that's fine. Okay. So let's say a 17-year-old comes to you and says, Miss Harple, I heard your witness talk and I just feel stuck with my fit friend group. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just not sure if they love me or if they care about me. And, and I feel like maybe I'm wasting my time at the parties uh, but but I just don't want to desert everybody. Yeah. Um, what should I do? Mm, that's a really good question. I feel like I needed someone to ask, or at least like someone to tell me what to do in that situation in high school, because that was definitely the case that I was that I was in of just not wanting to totally abandon um, these relationships, but also realizing that I was very restless within them too. Um, so yeah, I would just say start figuring out what is making you restless okay and then in those moments um just slowly remove yourself from that situation Mm -hmm. like if you if you are going to a party or if you're going to like a hangout um and you realize that you are very restless in a certain situation um don't keep yourself in that situation and and maybe maybe other people are feeling restless as well and you leaving um, gives them an opportunity to have a moment mm. of courage as well. And it's hard because if I told myself that in high school, I would be very opposed to doing that. Um, but I think in the long run, I just want people to know like um, you are worth more than what's making you restless. Okay. Are you saying, are you saying like when you feel restless like that, maybe go off in a corner and ask yourself why mm. why am i so restless is that kind of what you're saying i would say so or maybe even after the fact of thinking like all right in this situation i did not feel loved or maybe i like did not feel like i was living up to my fullest potential oh. and then maybe yeah taking a step back and asking yourself um do i need to just not do that again or is it something like i need to go back into that situation maybe with a different mindset okay or be able to be like hey Let's redirect what's happening okay. and see if it's if it's better for everyone else. So so like um, hypothetically, maybe I'm at the party. I'm at I'm 17. I I feel very restless. I feel unsettled. So I go out by myself and I say, Why am I not having a good time? Why do I feel so rotten here? Mm-hmm. This is supposed to be the best party. And then maybe I don't know. Maybe I think, Well, gosh, I don't know if I really have a true friend here. Yeah. And so then I have to confront these tough, yeah. tough emotions. Right. And let yourself reflect, but also let yourself um, do what you need to do. Okay. I think. Have the courage to, to follow what is making you have peace. Like always follow your peace. That's what I've, I've well, What do you mean by follow your peace? Oh my gosh. If like in your life. Because this person maybe doesn't have any peace. Right. Exactly. I'm not even sure I know what you mean by follow my peace. Yeah. Well, I think, I think in my own life, um, I have grown to know myself well enough that when I am like feeling uneasy about a situation, I am able to kind of recognize that. Okay. And when I'm feeling good and like peaceful about a situation, okay. um, I know that the Lord is in that. Okay. Sure. Okay. Because the devil cannot counterfeit peace. Oh, interesting. There's like no capability to 
do counterfeit peace. Well, I, I think the, the counterfeit is drugs and alcohol. Right. To yeah, be entirely honest, false. that's yeah. the counterfeit. Yeah, it's a very false concept of what comfort and joy Artificially is. imposed, chemically sure. imposed peace. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they feel peace. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, it does take a long time. And I still struggle sometimes, like, where's my peace in this situation? Um, why am I feeling restless? I think it just takes a lot of reflection. Okay. And I think that's where also silence comes in. Too. Okay. So a little bit of silence. And yeah. if, if you're, in my case, I would probably have to do some writing. I'd probably have to do yeah. some journaling to, to get things out. Yeah. And, you know, maybe do it in the chapel. Go to a chapel and just ask, hey, God, uh, just would you make me have some insight? Yeah. Show me who you I know. am. Show okay. me who I am right now. Okay. Uh, the very last question for teens then. How do teens find a supportive friend group that's exciting but will also lead them closer to God? Because mm. I, I guess what I'm thinking is like, hey, you go to the party, you realize you're restless, but then the problem is people don't feel like they have an alternative. For sure. Yeah. I think you know, like, because didn't you just arrive? Now you're like dating the cool guy yeah. with the Corvette and yeah. you're at Party Central yeah. and your life is perfect. And then you get into that situation and then you're like, this feels so empty and so hollow. Well then, gosh, I mean, what else is there? Right. I think that's a big struggle. And I think sometimes we're scared, like you said, to get out of situations because we don't know what the alternative is. Yeah, we don't have an alternative. I think to that point, and I'm, I'm really thinking about our school here, of just, there are a lot of opportunities that you can get involved in that people living virtuous lives are involved in. Even like last night we had an event um, at our school where there was an adoration and praise and worship night with confessions and just seeing the students that come to that um, and just, yeah, you can go to those events and reach out to those people. um, And if you have the courage to do that, then you can kind of start building the bridges of friendship and having the conversations about the weather that turn into these deeper conversations. Deeper conversations. How many people came to the events last night? There were a lot of people there. Um, Like a hundred? I think maybe a little bit less than a hundred, but around, I would say probably 70 or 80. I mean, that's enough to make some friends. For sure. Yeah. And I just having a mutual, I would just say have hope that there are people in the situation that desire these virtuous friendships too. Yeah. It is hard in high school because a lot of people still need to mature. And you probably need to mature too, just like I did. Um, but just having hope that if you live a virtuous life, it will attract okay. um, virtuous people. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, a little bit of everything. You should be looking for it yeah. in other people. But at the same time, if you're doing it, mm-hmm. then you will attract other people. Yeah. It's kind of what you're saying. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Is there anything in this conversation that I left out that you wish I would have asked about? Oh, man. That's a good question. There was one thing that I wanted to add on um, how to become just like closer to God or if you're a Christian, like how to yeah. grow in that. Yeah. And one thing for me um, that truly changed my life was okay. getting closer to Our Lady. Um, so Mary, the mother of God, the mother of Jesus. Um, she is a huge part of the Catholic faith. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions surrounding Our Lady in the sense that some people think we worship her. Right. Um, different things like that. But really what I Wait, found... we don't? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we did. I know. it's, it's Nobody not, tells it's me anything in this I know, religion. I know. It gets confusing. Um, but... There's a lot of people I'm upset with now. <laughs> they could have clarified <laughs> that for me. So we don't worship Mary. We do not worship Mary. But we, we, hold, her into, we hold her at very high importance because Christ himself... 
allowed it to be so. Oh, He okay. chose her as his mother. Um, and getting to know Mary at Benedictine, because she is a huge part of just Benedictine life. Okay. Um, Benedictine loves asking for Mary's intercession. And just getting to know her through that truly changed my spiritual life. And okay. um, a lot of saints say that she is like the quickest way to Christ because everywhere that she goes, he is also there. Yeah, um, if you want to get something from somebody, yeah, ask, ask their, their mom. mom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Assuming their mom is sweet and friendly. Right, and she is... And not like, I don't know, a character in a Brother's Grim fairy tale. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she's the epitome of motherhood, and she, she desires to be our mother too. So now in my life, like whenever I am doing something at the beginning of every class period, I consecrate our class to Mary because I know that she will take it. Um, and in my abilities that the Lord has given me, she will make them pure and she'll give it to the Lord. Your mom always loves you. Exactly. You know, yeah, she, she really does. Details, she really sure. does. And she takes care of details. Yep. She's detail minded. She is. Yeah. Just like every mom. Yeah. So right. Exactly. I would say if you're really looking for a place to grow in with Christ is to look to his mother. Um, and that's just what I've experienced in my own life. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's Mary, my very last question, this is oftentimes one of my favorite questions yeah. and and well just first of all i just want to say this has been great um i would interview you like 10 more times oh my gosh you know <laughs> so you're Hopefully fine it all made sense yeah yeah yes. you're totally fun and very articulate thank you um yeah. so i i guess my last question is let's just fast forward 15 years mm -hmm. so I, I believe you're 22 is I'm that right too. okay mm -hmm. so then you, i guess you'll be 37 um, and uh, gosh, we'll probably have holograms and we'll be living on the oh, moon gosh. or something, you know, like the world yeah. will be so different, so different, you know, so, but okay. So now it's 15 years from now and let's just say that your life has worked out beautifully. Mm -hmm. So, so what does it look like? Mm. I think at this point in my life, um, with like the reality that I'm living in now, it working out perfectly in 15 years would be, um, yeah, living in living in my vocation of marriage. Okay. Um, and hopefully doing it in a fruitful okay. and holy way. Okay. Um, I've always wanted to live on like land as well. Oh, okay. Just because of my experience as a, as a child of just being able to play outside. And I would love to offer that if I were to have kids at this point to my children as well. And like let them be able to roam and teach them about creativity and teach them about um, living in creation and loving the Lord through it. Um, so yeah, and I think I would love to still be working as a teacher, um, probably really busy with kids, but would, would love to still be okay growing and working as a teacher. Um, yeah, Either full-time or part-time. Yeah, I think Maybe just depending upon how many kids. Yes. You know, but, like if there's one kid versus, I don't know, seven kids. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I know, and I. It's funny because I've never, I've never thought about how many kids I would want to have. Okay, like, that's never been a thought in my mind. But I would be, I would love to have a big family, and I would love to be living primarily as a, a wife and a mother. Okay. For sure. Okay. So I think yeah, that just whole concept to me of family life is so attractive, and I find a lot of peace with thinking about that at this point in my life. And I would love to to enter into that gift of self every day as a wife and mother, and I think. The Lord is is calling me toward that at least now. So, Mary, yeah. that was absolutely beautiful. Thank you. And and thank you so much. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, for sure. <laughs>
Thank you again for listening to Seemingly Ordinary. The biggest favor that you could possibly do for me would be for you to share this episode far and wide. And now, an outtake. Mary Purple teaches theology at St. James Academy, and she has a very good witness talk to give. And after that, we are going to have a splendid conversation about what it means to be a 17 to 22-year-old who is making hard decisions about what kind of woman she wants to be. Hey, Mary. Hi, Tim. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm thrilled. I really am genuinely thrilled. Um, Tell me a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go into greater detail later. Okay. Awesome. So, as Tim said, I am a teacher at St. James Academy in Lenexa, Kansas. Oh, I just realized something. Oh, I should be plugging this in. Such a goofball. That's okay. Gosh, okay. 